Welcome to the ninth episode of the Valencia Property Podcast and today we're recording outside in the garden so the background noise of bird noises and the odd car going past might be soothing or annoying for you but whichever way it's just a little different. This week has also been a little different as with what's been happening in the world we decided not to put out a real blog post on Monday. Honestly it just seemed not to be the right time to get eyeballs on that when the whole world was watching on in horror at the extraordinarily large piece of well, let's call it crap, that runs Russia was doing. However, life has to continue, so we thought it was best if we continued our schedule after this small hiatus, and today we bring you our latest podcast, which again is a bit different, because the main part of it is an interview with James Blick, and he's based in Madrid. So, what has this got to do with Valencia property, I hear you asking? Well, listen up, quite a lot as it happens. Apart from that, I think you'll like James's story too, and find something for you to do when you get here to Spain. I'm also going to be putting the interview up on YouTube in full because we recorded it in video format too so you can enjoy it that way and see the faces behind the voices. So keep an eye out for that on our YouTube channel. Link in the show notes as normal. Firstly though, as usual, the latest news from Valencia and Spain. Just three short bits of news today. Firstly, a fun one in light of what's happening in Ukraine, and that is a Ukrainian sailor has lost his job this week after partially sinking his boss's yacht in Barcelona Harbour. He said he might well lose his job, but he wasn't going to lose his country. The yacht was owned by the guy who supplies the armour-plated steel to the Russian government for their tanks, so let's just say his boss might have just thought about using some of it on his boat, and he might have thought about better life choices in general. In Valencia, Fias has started with the Crida last week, uh, which is a big display of fireworks and light shows and everything, and there were a lot of people there. And from last Tuesday, the daily masquitas, which are daily firework displays, have been happening at 2pm in the Town Hall Square, like they do every year. The first few have had the same size crowds that they have had in previous years, despite a bit of nervousness about the proximity of others due to Covid. But on that score, the Covid numbers are down massively in the last couple of weeks, and we may be seeing the end of this current Omicron wave. Remember that last summer, numbers went down so much that everyone was more or less cool about Covid, but still taking precautions. It might be the same again this year, but with fewer inhibitions, so keep safe. In sport and our running commentary on the two Valencia football clubs, Levante won again at the weekend on a rainy Valencia against semi-local rivals Elche. And with the last three results, they've given themselves a glimmer of light and the minor possibility of escaping relegation. Narrator's voice, they didn't. Valencia, meanwhile, seemed to be getting worse, but after being hammered at home by Barcelona the previous weekend, they made the short trip over to Mallorca and won 1-0, and then in midweek they qualified for the final of the cup after beating Athletic Bilbao 1-0 in the second leg of the semi-final. So, all good for Valencia. We have a couple of listener questions before our interview today, and the first one is from Valerie, who asks the following. Can you tell me a little bit about the um, Comunidad what they do for you as a tenant or owner are they a a glorified tenants association a management company a bit of both and perhaps you could explain Well, it won't surprise you to know that I have actually written an article about what the community is and what it does. You can take a look at it in the link in the show notes, but the short version is they look after your building and sort out issues that come up. They are often self-administered and some busybody in the building retains the presidency every year because they have nothing better to do or because they are really nice and just want things to work well in the building. 
at times. Sometimes they outsource the work to a management company. The comunidad do a lot of things though. They act as intermediaries in arguments between neighbours, they act as the bad guy when someone hasn't been paying their community fees, and also act as the ones who explain individual circumstances if something like that comes up. They oftentimes collect the money, they organise the changing of keys of front doors of the building and common areas and giving those keys out to everyone. And if the building has shared facilities, they're responsible for the upkeep. They hire cleaners for the stairwell, gardeners for any communal gardens, pool maintenance and a whole lot more. The community is an important thing, so check out the art in our blog. The second question came from some clients I was with on Monday over lunch and we were in Betra, a really nice restaurant and uh, it's called the Via Fusion and if you ever get a chance go there. The menu of the day is a bit more expensive at 19 euros but it's very good. Anyway, they were quite surprised at the answer. The question is sort of related to the previous one as it refers to community charges and taxes on property in general and as usual my answer was, I have an article about that. And again, you can find it in the show notes. But the slightly shorter version is that your property tax on an apartment in Valencia depends on the size and area. But a signing we had on Monday for an apartment in the Avenida del Puerto area had an annual property tax of just €154. Not monthly, annually. The community fee in the building was just €20 per month paid quarterly. Another sign-in we had the week before was very different. The annual property tax on a huge house in La Pobla with a 2,000 metre plot was around 2,000 euros. Still small change when compared with property taxes in the States, but a bit more than 154 euros per year for this apartment in Valencia. However, on that one, there were no community charges. As usual, the truth is somewhere in the middle. It's not usually as cheap as 154 euros or as expensive as 2,000. The average on apartments that we've sold recently is around 300 euros and the average on houses has been around 600 to 800 euros. Me for example, my house is 450 euros per year, but we do get a 50% discount for the next five years on that as we got solar panels installed this year. So that's good. David who works with us, his flat in Valencia is 220 euros a year for his council tax but they pay 50 euros per month in community fees for the lift and cleaning so 600 a year for that and just before we get to the main part of our podcast today about the paradox of choice and our interview with james a little reminder about our competition it's your last chance to win the prizes of the competition mentioned in episode 7 and because of that i'm going to repeat the questions just for once and also tell you what you need to do Remember, you need to answer the questions, give us a good review on Apple Podcasts and share the screenshot in a mail to information at valencia-property.com and you could win the two books we're offering as a prize, Valencia Through It Street Art and a photo tour of Valencia in 1952 by the renowned photographer Robert Frank. Entries have to be in by next Friday the 11th of March and we will announce the winners either in that episode or in the following weeks. The four questions are... What are Valencia's fiestas in March called? I may have mentioned this earlier if you just go back. Which club is older, Levante or Valencia? Valencia is the third biggest city in Spain. Which two cities are bigger? And finally, which three regions make up the Valencian community? So, easy questions, easy to Google the answer if you don't know. Get your answers in and win the prize. For today's topic, we're looking at the paradox of choice. 
If we ask you about buyer's remorse, analysis paralysis and ego depletion and how they are related to property purchases, you may wonder where this came from. Well, it's simply about something called the paradox of choice. It's in the article linked in the show notes. And this is hugely relevant at the moment as there is very little choice in the market, but that's not necessarily a bad thing for people wanting to look at property. When you are faced with too many choices, then you are unable to make a decision whether it's rational or not. We've always said that if you need to see 20 to 30 properties, then you don't know what you want and therefore cannot make a decision because each of those 20 to 30 properties will have strengths and weaknesses and you won't even remember half of them once you start thinking about it. Equally, if you can only see three properties that suit your strict requirements, then you are much more likely to choose one of them and more importantly, be happy with your choice after you've made it. You can read about the proof behind this in the article, but here we won't go into the why. However, what we will do is tell you why less is more. Less is more because you are not confused by an excess of choice. Every day we have a limited number of decisions that can be made before we get tired, stressed out or simply unable to make a decision. You might think that you are an alpha decision maker and you can make a lot of decisions without it affecting you, but psychological studies suggest you're wrong. The fewer choices you have to make in a day, the easier it is to make a decision in every case. That's why we always try to drill down into your requirements and get them as specific as possible using our form on the website in the article about taking the first step to buying Valencia property. Again, it's in the show notes. You may well find while doing this exercise you realise what is important for you and decide that keeping your options open isn't the best policy. If you can't decide between a house or an apartment, between the city and the villages around, between modern or traditional, or between modernised or waiting for you to put your seal on the property, then you will never decide to purchase a property, because you don't actually know what you want. Therefore, it's important to define your outcome and work with us before you come to visit. Once your outcome is defined, then it's much easier to find what you are looking for, and the more positive constraints that there are, the easier it is to find something that suits you, even if there are only a handful of properties that suit those requirements. I'd say that if you have clearly defined what you're looking for, then there'll be a maximum of 10 properties that will suit that search, and usually a lot fewer. We would definitely hope it's fewer, because fewer means an easier choice, and a more satisfying choice. More satisfying, I hear you ask? Well, yeah, because you don't second guess yourself as much. This week I talked with James Blick. James is best known for his YouTube channel, Spain Revealed, which he runs along with his wife Yoli, where he gives a deep dive into the life and living in Madrid and around there, and more especially about food and lifestyle in Spain. But he also runs Devour Tours, which gives tapas tours in many cities in Spain and more general food tours around Europe. James and Yoli's YouTube channel has over 130,000 subscribers, but when Covid came, they also branched off into a new venture, and you can listen to more about this in the following interview. Hope you enjoy it. Hi James, how are you doing today? Good, Graham, how are you mate? I'm good, I'm good. So we've got you on today to talk about, well, your new venture, but also about your business and mm-hmm. what happened with COVID and everything. So firstly, before we start, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us how long you've been in Spain? 
cool. So I've been here, uh, I always say 10 years, but I think it's 11 now. <laughs> I think I have to, I'm into my second decade. I came in um, beginning of, or around 2011 uh, from New Zealand. Uh, my wife is Spanish. So so yeah, 10, 10 going on 11 years and, and loving it. And you're in Madrid, yeah? I'm in Madrid, exactly. Can't you see the beautiful Mediterranean weather out the window? <laughs> yeah, I can see a bit of light at the back there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see you, though, in Madrid. You know? No, I don't. No, uh, yeah. There's a famous sort of punk song, you know, you know, Aki, I, I'm going to completely balls it up. It's effectively saying here in Madrid, you know, we have no beach, but we have all these other things, you know. Bye, bye, um, bye, so, bye. That's the one. Yeah, Aki no hay playa. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we well, have yeah. all the other stuff. So, um I have to ask this question, uh, and I probably know the answer. What? Why did you come to Spain and settle in Spain rather mm. than taking a family and going to New Zealand or somewhere else? Sure. Well, um, I'd always loved the idea of living in Europe, uh, and that predated the idea of living in Spain. Uh, I left New well, left New Zealand. I moved to France for a year uh, when I, I'm 43 now. So when I was about 27, uh, just to kind of get away from it. You know, a typical Kiwi thing is to spend a year or two in England and London. I didn't want to do that, so I wanted to go somewhere different. And in France. Um, I met my wife, my now wife, who's from Madrid. So really, uh, I, I just kind of had the, I'd been to Europe a couple of times and I just had the whole, you know, the whole cliche, the whole dream of the European lifestyle. And then obviously once I fell in love with a, with a Spaniard, it was like, okay, well that, that focused it on, on Spain. But, uh, I didn't know much about Spain when I, you know, when I first moved here. Uh, well, the thing is usually when you meet the Spanish girl, that's where you get dragged, dragged back to, but it's not a bad place to be dragged back to really, is it? No. And, you know, and it's, I feel grateful that, uh, you know, all things being equal, I met someone who, uh, by virtue of marrying her and moving to her home country, I moved to Spain, learned Spanish, you know, not some obscure language <laughs> that I would never use outside, you know, in other parts of the world. So I'm sure I wouldn't say that if I'd met someone who speaks an obscure language, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I feel grateful that, you know, that it happened to be Spain and it happened to be Spanish. Okay, so you came along to Madrid, and unlike everybody else, you didn't say, "Right, I'm going to teach English." You actually started mm. a business, right? So, what well, did you I did about your business. Yeah, I did. I did teach a little bit of English. I had to get out. I didn't like. I like teaching, but I don't like teaching English. Um, and so, um, you know, I when I moved here, I was actually in, uh, working as a film, uh, as a TV commercial director in New Zealand. So, I moved to Spain. I was going to keep directing TV commercials. Uh, but pretty quickly I realized, and this is one kind of the things that, that is interesting in, for the course is that I realized that when you move countries, it's a great opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself, yeah. um, not to kind of change your identity completely, but think about, you know, how, how can I use this as kind of like a, a point in time that I can make a sort of a pivot in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I don't like advertising. I was falling in love with Spain, the history, the culture. I thought I'm going to be a travel writer. I'd always loved writing. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I would sort of start writing and the New York Times would be publishing my articles the next week and, you know, no idea. So after a rough year of not earning much money, um, I stumbled onto tours. I thought, well, I love Spain. I could be a tour guide as well. That will pay better than, than travel writing. And while the travel writing picks up, I can, I can give tours. So um, I just effectively, I met a woman who had just started giving food tours, gastronomic tours here in Madrid. We teamed up uh, and I just started guiding food tours, tapas tours, and I loved it. Is the reason you love it because of the people or because of the food? Both. It's a really good question. I, I mean, I, I've never thought about it in that way. Sometimes people say to me, um, you know, when people take a food tour, they book it because of the food, but the, the often the memories uh, are, you know, they're about the food, obviously, and the food is great, but it's also about the company, the experience, the, mm -hmm. the being with others and who they meet and what they have in common. So 
really, I, I love food. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a weird foodie that I'm not obsessed about the detail of food. I'm obsessed with the experience of eating and the experience of eating in Spain is what is so wonderful of, of being standing at a bar of the, of the noise around you of talking to the person next to you. That's, that's kind of what I love. And I love the food and the wine, obviously, but it's the whole package. We definitely love the wine. Yeah. <laughs> that's the reputation I have. And I started to get a complex. People would say, you know, are you, you know, you got it on lockdown. I was making cooking videos and I'm like, yeah, I love your cooking videos where you get drunk and things like that. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to have this reputation as an alcoholic on, you know, some sort of, you know, Keith, Keith Floyd kind of figure, but uh, you know, it, it didn't end well for him. So um, I've tried to tone down that reputation, but I do like a glass of wine. Yeah. Okay. So you started in Madrid, but you're, you're not limited to Madrid at all now. So uh, tell us about how you developed your business. Yeah, so the business called Devour Tours, and we just started, my my business partner and I, we started um, offering two tours in Madrid, sort of what it'd be like eight years ago now or so. Uh, and we were just, uh, I was leading the evening tour, Tapas and History Tour. She was leading the daytime tour. We didn't see each other much. We communicate via WhatsApp. Uh, but then it started to get really popular. Uh, we started to get good reviews on TripAdvisor. We started to hire a few guides. Uh, and then we thought, well, we don't just have to do this in Madrid. We could help people have great food and great time in Barcelona. We expanded into uh, other parts of Spain, Seville, San Sebastian. And then actually in 2019, just before the, the I was going to say the economic crisis. Well, it was an economic crisis yeah. as well, just before COVID. Um, we expanded into Europe, into Paris, Lisbon, Rome, uh, and London, although London didn't survive, didn't survive COVID, mm-hmm. uh, though we are going back there. Um, so yeah, we just, we realized that all the, I think for the first five years of the of running the business, we thought we were doing something good because we were Spain experts, and we re- learned over time we were actually we were experts in designing experiences around food. So if we partnered with a local person in Paris, where we're not food experts, we could work together to create an incredible experience. Okay, that's cool. Now, obviously, you've already mentioned it: the pandemic, <laughs> and you were in hospitality. Yeah. What happened? Wow. It's, you know, the early days were just like a a blur. On the one hand, a lot of people were experiencing that everybody experienced the pandemic, a lot of people in different ways, right? You know, uh, my wife, for example, um, she was giving tours, uh, but her own little kind of flamenco tours. And so those just stopped. She didn't have overheads or anything like that. So, you know, she, you know, in those early days when we we're all in lockdown and she was doing, you know, Zoom parties with friends and things like that. And, and you know, I was trying to save our business and, and we had almost 30 staff plus a lot of freelance guides. So trying to manage that, trying to figure that out. So it was, it was really rough. Um, and we had always been fiscally conservative. So we had, we had a little bit of money to keep going. Uh, and so we pivoted, we create, we created some recipe books. We started doing online classes, online cooking classes, like everybody else. Um, and we, we hung in there and now it's coming back. Um, now it's coming back 2000. I mean, there's been some fits and starts, mm-hmm. um, but we, we got through that was with devour. Um, but obviously I also have a YouTube channel, which is separate Spain revealed. Uh, and so I had to pivot that as well. Normally we make videos about traveling around Spain and, and eating and things like that. Um, we couldn't do that. Started making cooking videos and just tried to keep, uh, being in front of people mm-hmm. and providing value, but in the way, the way that was possible given lockdown and COVID and everything like that. Okay. So one of the things that you mentioned there is about your YouTube channel, which currently has about 133,000 subscribers, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. And you decided to actually tap into that subscriber base with the Mm. offers that you were making. Yeah. 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 Um, Are you referring to the course there? 
Well, we can get onto that if you want. I was thinking about the cookbooks and things as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always been a little bit of a funny one because both, uh, you know, I have Spain Revealed, which is a YouTube channel, which is different from Devourateurs or different kind of things or different entities, but they're related because of obviously if I'm known in Madrid as a tapas expert, people like look me up and they're like, oh, he also has a food tour company. Mm-hmm. So we were running, the, the cookbooks were, were Devour, so mm-hmm. like, you know, the company, whereas uh, it's Spain Revealed, of course, I was talking about those and supporting them yeah. um, and, and, and doing cooking videos, which I loved doing. I mean, I, I made a tortilla de patatas cooking video, which was 45 minutes. Of, no, it wasn't 45. It was like, it was like 30 minutes or something, which mm-hmm. nobody watched apart from super fans because nobody's going to look up YouTube and be like, oh, I'd like to learn how to make a Spanish omelet. Oh, 30 minute video. Yeah, that looks like a good one to, <laughs> to watch. And make a, so, so, you know, it was more the drama of me figuring out how to, you know, get around my tiny kitchen and drink wine and, and burn potatoes. Uh, it was more about that than teaching how to cook a, a Spanish omelette. Yeah, and how to live in a small space during um, the pandemic. It was yeah, it totally. Was, a lot of people don't realize that we actually had a, a real lockdown. Uh, you know, yeah. other countries say they had a lockdown, but it wasn't to the same extent as in Spain, where it was like one hour a week to go and do your shopping, and yeah. that was about it, really. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was super lockdown, and so, you know, my days were get up, do yoga because I love jogging, but I couldn't do that. So get up, do yoga, try and save devour, um, and at the same time making videos for Spain revealed. Uh, you know, cooking videos made a really heady sangria recipe in one video, which uh, I need to make again sometimes. Serious stuff. Um, I often think I didn't drink that much in lockdown, but it's like, that's sangria, man. Boom. You don't know how much booze is in there because of the sugar and the fruit, but wow. Yeah, you really want to get rid of that uh, um, that reputation, don't you? <laughs> I, I do, yeah. I, you know, it's like a boomerang, this reputation. <laughs> okay. So when I say you tapped, uh, you tapped up your mailing list and that, it's because you keep getting questions about moving to Spain, right? Mm, yeah what you decided to do so i'd realized that i'd always treated spain revealed the youtube channel as you know helping tourists coming to spain have an authentic and memorable experience um and i guess this was covid related but it was also something was on my mind i think it might have been on my own before covid i was getting questions uh and realizing that a big chunk of my audience who are watching the youtube channel were also sort of using the channel or watching the channel because they were looking to move to Spain or or it was inspiring them to actually move here rather than just visit here. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's, that's really interesting. Um, You know, I can't, something I didn't mention is before working in in filmmaking in in New Zealand, I was also a lawyer. I studied law. Mm -hmm. So I started to kind of look at sort of the whole idea of moving to a country. uh, And I realized well, that's, that's, it kind of combines a lot of things that I find interesting. There's a legal side. There's a, there's a sort of a, a cultural side of teaching people how to adapt to a culture, uh, sharing my experience. So I thought, you know, how could I help these people who are looking to move here and sort of expand the reach in the channel? And also just on a, on a business side, one of the things that they teach about YouTube channels is that, you know, if, if a YouTube channel is your main income, uh, you're at the kind of the mercy of, you know, the ad revenue and things like that. So I was like, well, I, you know, maybe I could grow a business here as well around helping people to move here. Um, and that would kind of protect me a little bit um, and not be just this this YouTube channel that's just like, you know, if Google turns me off one day, well, you can't pay, can't pay my rent, you know. Mm-hmm. So you, you always try and build a business around your YouTube channel. Uh, I have a, I have a guidebook to Madrid, Madrid revealed, which I also do. So it's kind of sort of trying to get beyond just being a YouTuber, which I hate. It's like having a business of which has a YouTube channel, kind of like this podcast, right? It's a form of communication with your audience. Yeah. 
I mean, what I've always thought is that you can get cancelled anywhere uh, yeah. on somebody's platform. I mean, it happens with Facebook all the time. Suddenly, the organic yeah. reach will go down massively because they want you to pay yeah. ads. So yeah. you've got to have your home base as well, yeah? Exactly. And so it was kind of a combination of all these different things um, and just sort of some curiosity about, yeah, God, like when I moved here, it was really easy in a lot of ways because I was married to a Spaniard. Um, and so as I started to read more, I was like, wow, this is a whole world. This is fascinating. Um, how could I sort of help people? And, 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 and yeah, I mean, as I say, we said at the beginning, I hated teaching English, but I actually love teaching. Effectively, Spain Revealed and Devour Tours in a way are teaching, right? I'm teaching you how to go for tapas. I'm teaching you this. I love sharing the things that I've learned and trying to take what I've learned, organize it in a way that makes sense and then pass it on. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you decided to put together, well, you decided to do this in the form of the course. Yeah. So yeah. Tell us, how did you organize the course and why did you decide to do it in that way? I realized that, um, well, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking at first I was thinking, well, maybe it could be like a, an ebook or something like that, um, how to move here. And then actually a friend of mine said, had seen that in Italy, there was a couple of courses that helped people to move to Italy. I thought, well, that's a really interesting model because it includes a live portion, you know, Zoom calls. It involves, um, it involves video, you know, recording video, me teaching lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started to kind of investigate that. And I thought this is a way that, um, that is, is a more dynamic way, I think. And courses have become, have long been really big, but what they are now more courses is not just like watch these videos on your own time. There's also, there's a community aspect. And that's what I've realized having run the course now th- uh, twice, we're on the third time now is it's the community that people actually uh, love. You know, they come for the information and, and they stay for the community because these are people who are doing the course with you, other participants who are going to be the people who moved to Spain at a similar time as you and are in Spain with you. And so you're going through challenges together. So I, I love that part of it. Yeah, and also there's the likelihood that a lot of them are going to finish up in the same cities as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know... Valencia, as you know, is a very popular away. destination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you... Uh, uh, we'll do the four tops thing here. What made you reach out to other people like myself down here in uh, Valencia and other parts of Spain? Well, you know, when I was putting the course together, it's it's a funny one because, um, I mean, I had seen this other model uh, that these other courses were running. And part of it was saying, um, okay, we divide into certain modules, one module on immigration, one module on real estate, one module on, on taxes, for example. Now, I can organize certain information around that stuff, but I'm not an expert in everything. And that's that's what's kind of interesting in developing a course like this. On the one hand, I have to have a knowledge of all these different areas, but I am not, I am not, nor ever are going to be, it would be impossible to be as a, a real estate or a Valencia expert like you mm-hmm. or an immigration. I'm not an immigration lawyer. So I have to, I have to work with experts to be able to provide that expertise to my audience. Um, and so when I thought about the course and divide it into these different modules, uh, healthcare as well, I thought, well, who is, um, who's an expert in that area who I know or I've seen around who could, you know, uh, come on and answer questions or, or provide that expertise. And it, what it means is that um, people get better answers than the answers I can give. Um, it also helps, you know, when you move countries, I realize you go online, there's a whole bunch of information, but also you need help from experts such as yourself to buy a house or whatever it may be. And you don't know who to trust. And so in a way, if I say, well, you know, I think Graham's good, or I think this person's good, there's value just in that recommendation. You know, I've, I've kind of vetted and gone through and thought, you know, I, I trust this person. This is, this is the immigration lawyer I'm going to recommend. 
there are other good ones, but I'm going to, this is the one I recommend. And so there's a lot of value in, in, in providing that connection for the students, which is an, another kind of piece of the value of the course. Yeah, I think one of the things that we we often notice is there's so much. I won't call it fake news. I'll, I'll call it false yeah. information out there because it was written so long ago and things change. Yeah, and then yeah. people don't update things. And when you go and you do a, a basic Google search, you might find something that's been there for years, which is mm. totally and utterly irrelevant to the current situation. And I think, for example, from my situation from the UK, anything you read that was pre-Brexit is now totally irrelevant. Yeah, you know, so yeah. we've got we've got a lot of people coming over from all over the world, and that their situation is now more relevant to Britain's situation. But you can yeah. find so much rubbish online, which is that's just not right, and we get told it by the potential clients. And we go, well, where did you read that? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, yeah, totally. So no, it's there is so much information out there, and um, and part of it is you know part of the challenge also of the course is is how to how much information to give and how much not to give because. Um, my tendency is to kind of, I want to say over deliver, but my tendency is to really get down to the, the, the grano, the, the nut of it, as we say in Spanish. Um, and I kind of don't, I, I, I have to watch myself to pull back because it can be overwhelming for people. You know, part of the journey has to be them kind of digging a little bit, yeah. but you got to get them on that first, those, those first few steps. So they know the direction and know who to contact when they're like, Hey, is this Valencia information correct? You know, what's the latest up to date? Call Graham, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we hope to keep it up to date. Yeah. <laughs> what does your audience for this look like then? What You've said you've mm-hmm. gone through two courses already and now on to the yeah. third. Uh, what type of people are signing up for it? I and mean, how many how many people do you assign for each course? So in this current uh, intake, we have uh, 40 households. So in each household, there might be a family, there might be one person, there might be two people. Um, so I would say the statistics are about sort of 80 to 90 percent, 85 percent are North American, um, mainly from the US. Uh, then there are some Europeans. Um, I think Europeans, obviously, the immigration route is easier than if you're from a third country uh, like the US or the UK or New Zealand. So they're less likely to sign up for something like this. But I also think, you know, the, the, the US audience just happens to be an audience that predominantly is the audience of my YouTube channel. Um, and so for whatever reason, it attracts, it attracts, um, people from the States. So it, it's a lot of people, um, kind of pre-retirement, retiring early, looking to, I see a lot of people who are, um, particularly from the States who are looking to kind of, they're tired. They've been working really hard for X number of years. And they're like, I can't, particularly post COVID, I think, which is kind of middle of COVID when the course started is they're saying, you know, life can be a little different than this. You know, it doesn't have to be um, this intense. Um, so we've got enough money. We think we can retire early or we can retire. We just want to slow down. We want to be more connected to a community. We want to travel in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Spain seems like a really good kind of place to to lead that life. So I see a lot of people, I, um, you know, but there's a whole mix. A lot of people moving with pets take the course. I don't know if that's because people moving with pets are like, what? Well, we better get to a course because moving with three dogs, you know, <laughs> in the current course, there's a woman moving with a horse. So, um, which is, <laughs> which I, are you an expert on moving with horses, Graham? Because I'll reach out if, if you are. Um, um, <laughs> <a while. laughs> 
So a lot of people, and then we do get some European people. I really designed the course initially um, saying, you know, this is not for people from the EU. It's people from the States because of the whole immigration side. But I am seeing people from the EU take it. Um, and, you know, because there's a lot of value just beyond the immigration part of it that they need to learn about. So I, so I am seeing that as well. Um, yeah. And, and, and I would say a lot of people in that sort of 40s, 50s, 60s, people with families, uh, a lot of couples, a lot of people who are, a little bit nervous about the cost of healthcare in the US uh, and obviously healthcare yeah. when you come on a non-lucrative visa you have to get private healthcare but it's dramatically cheaper than than what healthcare would be in the US so yeah and a lot of people who feel a bit nervous about the political situation in the US I noticed that and are just kind of like sort of like I'm done I want to get out you know yeah, I want to start somewhere else we've had that for the last few years um, obviously I've written blogs about this and we call them the Trump yeah. refugees and even though yeah. Trump's gone, hopefully yeah. permanently, but could be temporarily, yeah. the situation yeah. created hasn't gone. And yeah. so we're getting people who don't feel secure with their families in, in that situation. And yeah. what we're also finding is what you said before, about which is very important. We don't realize in Europe that um, Americans get two weeks a year off and they're told, don't come back a day late or you'll be sacked. You know? Yeah. And and that thing about working really hard and not and seeming to be constantly on a hamster wheel, um, they want something, let's say, a bit more laid back. Now, really, if you've got the money, which in a lot of cases they have, there's nothing really more laid back than Spain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's competition from Portugal, particularly Portugal, maybe has some tax advantages or, you know, is a little more liberal on some of the visa stuff, although that is changing in Spain now with the coming uh digital nomad visa um which mm -hmm. is not the official name but we don't know what it's going to be called <laughs> um but um so people kind of often are looking at both but but in the end what often really wins out is they've been here on vacation and they just want to come back and actually a lot of i'm seeing a number of people from the us who have ancestors from spain yes. and they're very curious um about whether it's a grandparent or even going further back you know, you know um sephardic roots you know who are expelled mm -hmm. in the 15th century um yeah, so it's a real combination of We've got the list of names, haven't we? That if your name belongs to that, you may well be from the old yeah. Jewish community. Totally. No, it's fascinating. And there's still, um, I had, I thought it had actually expired, but, um, but there are still roots, uh, there are still kind of paths if you are, you know, do have Sephardic heritage to get to Spain. Yeah. And as you said, there's a few advantages of Portugal, but a couple of those advantages have recently been taken away. In have the they? Okay. You, you could you used to be able to invest anywhere in the golden visa mm. and now it's limited to certain areas so you can't invest oh, okay. and you can't invest on the algarve and that they want people mm. to move to the inland areas and obviously mm. they're not as attractive for people coming over from the states yeah. to move to inland portugal for example yeah yeah no well, that's true got, yeah. so yeah it's a big advantage <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah your ethereum or ethereal or whatever it's called <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a world I understand. <laughs> so uh, we were talking before we started this, and you said that you haven't really got a page because what people do is sign up for your email list. So tell us mm. how people can get more in touch with you about this. Because at the moment, as you say, you're on the third course. I assume it's yeah. full. Yeah, it is full. I, I plan to run it. My, my vision is to run it about three times a year um, with about this number of people e each time. So I have got a limit on it currently, which maybe I can sort of solve that problem mm -hmm. down the line. So I do generally have people that miss out each time. Mm -hmm. So I have a wait list. Mm -hmm. So the best way is to head to um, my website, which is www.spainrevealed backslash masterclass. 
and there you can uh, drop in your details and you'll be kind of, you'll get a you'll get a notification you'll be on the on the waitlist and you'll get a little more information about the course um, and you'll you'll see my email then and if you want to drop me an email and ask any questions then you know then I can reply uh-huh. that's spainreveal.com backslash masterclass right yeah is that what I said you missed the dot com Ah, oh, yeah. Okay. Spainreveal.com. I, yeah, I got nervous there. I got, I was like, I better be really clear when I say my, you know, when yeah. I say my website. And of course, then I, you know. It's just in case it was a dot S, usually. Something- yeah, 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 exactly. No, spainreveal.com backslash masterclass. Great. We got that clear. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Thanks for that, James. Nice one. Appreciate it, Graham. Good and, to see uh, you. I'm sure we'll speak soon again. Yeah. Hopefully. See you in Valencia. See ya. We hope you heard all the way to the end of that because it's a really interesting interview and hopefully we'll get more clients coming into James to take his course. Just before we get onto our recommendations, we'd like to say thanks for all of the replies to our survey which we sent out to the mailing list last week. We're going to be talking about what those results were next week, but if you're listening to this and haven't yet filled in the survey, I've included the details for it in the show notes so you can add your voice to the answers. It should only take you about three minutes to answer and it helps us enormously as we decide on what to concentrate on moving forward. What you want will supply. As usual, we have our recommended video, our recommended articles and our recommended property this week. The recommended video this week is one of James's, of course, and I couldn't let this go by without recommending a recent video James made with his friend Phil Kittramalides, who, let's just say, has a restrictive palate. So James decided to take him on a wild tapas tour of offal and bits of animals that many people just won't touch. It's lots of fun, but if you're a bit squeamish, you might want to miss the pig's head bit. We also take a look at the videos where James talks about moving to Spain and how you can help define what you are looking for when you move to Spain. Obviously, we hope that you decide that that place in Spain is Valencia, but you can see the playlist in the show notes. A recommended article this week? Well, we've got lots of recommended articles. We've got the one about stamp duty and council tax on Valencia property, which talks all about taxes. We've got one about getting to know the community, which talks all about the community. We've got the Paradox of Choice article, the main part of the podcast this week. And we've got about the first step to buying property in Valencia, where you can fill in the form and tell us what you want when you come here. Our recommended property this week? Well, just click on the link. I think you'll be surprised at how good it is, how good value it is. It's not the most visually appealing, but I think you might like it. This has been a podcast from Valencia Property. You can find us on our homepage at www.valencia-property.com. Also, if you put a backslash and new onto that, you'll get our blog. But you can find it on the homepage anyway. You can get in touch with us on information at valencia-property.com. Or you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, of course, on Valencia Property. We're on Twitter, that's Greyhunt, G-R-A-H-U-N-T, and you can also find us on Instagram. Wherever you find us, we hope to see you in Valencia soon.